Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is an actress. She is a vlogger. She married the love of her life in 2018, Tom Parker. They went on to have two children, Aurelia and Bodie. It is the amazing Kelsey Parker. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> I mean, we've basically both been on the same holiday. We both went to Cornwall, but at separate times. Separate times. I am envious of your tan right now. Well, mine's starting to fade. I hope mine doesn't fade, but then I'm going on another holiday straight after, <laughs> so hopefully I won't. Hopefully I have it to October. Oh, I mean, it's a long time to keep it. I'm praying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, are you a bit sick of the question, how are you at the moment? Do you, this That is the hardest question that yeah. people ask you, and obviously people ask me all the time, yeah. and it's so hard because how do you answer that? Because some days I am okay, yeah. some days I'm not okay. Some mornings I'm okay, some evenings I'm not okay. Like, And in a way, do you feel like when people ask you that question, they just want the quick, I'm all right? 
Yeah. No, they I don't. They're not really prepared it for depends, the full answer. It depends who's asking me. Yeah. Because some of my friends are like, is that the truth, Kelsey? Are you okay? And then I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? You start second-guessing second yourself. obviously, I am okay on the surface, yeah. but probably deep within me, I'm not okay. Yeah. But it's going to take... I'm, I'm never going to be okay again, am I? Let's be honest. I'm never going to be okay again. Yeah. Because I have lost the love of my life. So, mm. you know... That question's always going to be hard for me because when will I ever be okay? Yeah. And it is so important, though, that we have those friends who kind of need a little a little bit more. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask the question again. Really yeah. look at you when you're asking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually was with you both at the um, Pride of Britain Awards yeah. last year. And it was not long after your documentary had come out. Yeah. And I was amazed at the how many people came over and spoke to you both about it. And I can't imagine, because obviously you've shared such a massive part of you and Tom yeah. and people want to communicate how that's moved them. Mm. But I guess you don't really think about the after part of that is them being with people who have seen it and then them wanting to talk to you about it or share it. Like that's, that's a lot. Yeah. And I think Tom found it a lot. But then we were so happy because then we knew that we delivered what we wanted to deliver. Yeah. And it was funny because obviously with the documentary... You know, at the end, Tom did get on stage and he did perform and sort of they went through the journey with us and they were like, oh, you're okay now. Yeah. Like they thought he was cured and it's like, no, 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 he's not going to be cured. Like that, this is it. This is the life he's living now. Mm. But that was funny and interesting to watch people's reactions to that because they're like, oh, you were on stage, you're fine, aren't you? He's like, yeah, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. Yeah. But also scratching the surface of that, like watching the documentary, seeing him on stage... He's on stage, and that is absolutely incredible. But you can still see, yeah. you know, it's not Tom Parker of old that would have no. been, you know, jumping early days around. Of the wanted. Yeah. Oh, and Tom was so such an energetic person yeah. and hyperactive and a lover of life. And as soon as he was diagnosed, that all of that just got sucked out of him. And I think for me, that was really hard to watch because he was Tom, but he wasn't my Tom anymore. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever got my Tom back. Yeah. And I imagine, was that something that you ever communicated to him? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm a really honest, open person. So I <laughs> so that's why it's a documentary where yeah. he was like, all right, calm down. Yeah, yeah, he used to say, like, real explicit. I actually felt sorry for the documentary makers because they were probably like, can we actually air any of this where he's actually calling his <laughs> wife? But I just pushed Tom and was behind him the whole way because I... I think there's so much in life that you can give and he needed to give that to get through what he was going through. Yeah. Um, and obviously that was massive. That was such a big achievement. Like, he got to play the Royal Albert Hall. Like, Amazing. all of this stuff, we get to celebrate him. But I was always quite hard on him, but he did need that. Do you feel like you're a bit of tough love? Oh, I was massive t- tough love. And sometimes people are like, can you just actually calm down? But obviously it did... When he got diagnosed, it did just change him and he did, like, go into a shell of himself. And I was like, that's not you. Like, be you. But I just felt like he never could be that person again because he felt like cancer had, like, a hold over him. Yeah. He could never get over the fact that he had was diagnosed with cancer. And I don't know if he ever would have got over the fact that he was diagnosed with cancer. Right. Yeah. It was, re- it was really tough on him. That's I used to say to him, I wish I could just take it away from you and me have it and then deal with it for you. Mm. From what I've read and spoken to people with cancer as well, there's something about the fact that your body is doing this, so it's almost like 
their body is against them. And to have something like that happening within your body that you have no control of, that's a hard thing to, to come to terms with. Yeah, and I think that was massive for Tom. And I just think that he was like this beautiful pop star. That's And then that happened to him and he didn't feel like that anymore. Mm. And it was more how it made him feel. And he would, he'd often talk about cancer. And that's what he, he was just so shocked that that happened to him. But that's obviously what we were trying to show people in the documentary yeah. that, you know, cancer doesn't choose who it picks. It, mm-hmm. it just happens. And yeah. it happened to be Tom, who was from The Wanted, who had a really successful career, had two amazing kids and a wife. And it did happen to him. Yeah. And unfortunately, it did take him. Mm. We'll get back to Tom and his diagnosis yeah. and everything in a bit. But first, I want to go back to your childhood. Yeah. I didn't know that you went to Italia Conti. Oh, darling, how did you not know that? <laughs> so I went to Sylvia's. Yeah. So we, so we should like actually proper... be enemies right yeah. now. Why are we sitting looking at each other I like mean, this? I can remember being on the set of like the first Harry Potter. Yeah, me and uh, Tom, I was we... in that too, by the way. I remember us being on the train and then the Italia Conti kids being arri- uh, arriving and us being like, ah. Yeah, no, oh do you know what gosh. we used to actually do if we did get trouble in trouble on the trains? I'd be like, I go to Sylvia Young. <laughs> no, you yeah. didn't. I'd be like, I'm not a conscript. I go to Sylvia's. <laughs> Bring Sylvia. <laughs> you know, we were in that in that carriage for so long. I think me and Tom, we got to the point where we could not see a camera. The camera yeah. could not see us. Yeah. So I think we just popped our heads back in and just had a little, you know, lover's tiff. <laughs> you know, at 15, it's yeah. all very dramatic. Oh, yeah. Literally, but doing Harry Potter and stuff like that, that was just like... That's within my childhood. Yeah. Like it was so much fun. So where did you grow up? So I've got, I grew up in South London, like Bromley. Right. People get offended. It's either Bromley or Kent. I don't know which. I live on the outskirts of either, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always lived there. Travelled into London. Went to Conti. Went to performing. Like I literally started performing at the age of like. Uh, I think when I was in reception, they pulled my mum to one side and was like, you need to get into performing arts. Like, she needs to do something. <laughs> She's such a show-off. So then I started... <laughs> Channel it. At, uh, yeah, I started at Italia Conti on a Saturday. Okay. And then from there, uh, Mr Vote, he asked me to audition for the main school and I did and I got a place and then I never looked back, really. So how old were you when you went to... 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you stay there until you were 16? I stayed till I was 19. I did oh. the three-year course too. I did the three-year course too. <laughs> That I'm a proper yeah. student. <laughs> I was a real student. No, yeah, I stayed till I was 19 and graduated, got to diploma in performing arts. Amazing. Yeah. So then, then obviously then I went on and was within the industry doing like acting roles, yeah. doing like TIEs, like theatre and education. Um, yeah, like films. I've done like my fair share of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then I decided that I wanted to be a mum. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah. It's absolutely fair. Yeah. Did you ever look, when you were, you know, younger, did you ever look ahead to your future and see yourself as a mum? Was that something that you were... Oh, I've always loved children. Like, I knew I was going to be... I always knew I was going to be a mum. Yeah. So I run a performing arts school as well, so I've I've always been around children and I love children and I just think they're healing. They're healing for me, the the children that I teach. Um, So I I always knew I was going to be a mum. How long have you had the school for? 10 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 21, I set that up. Yeah, coming on 11 years now. That's incredible. Yeah. So you were 19 when you met Tom. Yeah. Tell me about this little drunken encounter. So we met in a nightclub. Mm. I was um, out with a group of friends 
And it's really weird. My best friend is called Kelsey. Let's clear that up. So there's two Kelseys, me and my best friend Kelsey. And we were outside a nightclub um, and literally Tom walked past and I grabbed Kelsey and I went, oh, my God, I love him. She went, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I really like him. Like, it's really weird. I've never, ever felt like that ever about anyone. Yeah. So then when we went downstairs into the club, Tom was actually out on the Saturdays Christmas party because they had the same management so the girls were there and then he was with the band but they didn't have a name right so we've got talking and he was like oh I'm in a band and I was like all right well what's your band called and he was like oh no we've not got a name yet and I was like well you're obviously lying you're not in a band (laughs) and he was like no 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 but my friends used to go out and pretend to be like footballers and stuff so I was thinking (laughs) oh he could quite easily be lying to me anyway Tom got really really drunk because they were obviously supplying him with the alcohol mm-hmm, on the table. Mm-hmm. Got really drunk, and then he kissed a blonde girl, <laughs> which he thought was me. Oh, my God. But it wasn't me. So then I went up to him and was like, oh, yeah, because that was it as well. He asked for my name. He didn't ask for my number. Oh. So he's he'd added my name into his notes or whatever. He thought it was cool because he thought Facebook, but it was cool to just add my, my name. Right. Like, um, and then he... Then the, the night sort of ended and obviously I was really upset that he'd kissed this girl and I was like, well, that wasn't me. I mean, you must have just been a little bit livid. I like. was like devastated as well. I was like, oh, I thought it was the love of my life. Obviously it's not. Then anyway, he's gone home that night, said to Max George that he'd kissed me and Max was like, <laughs> no, no, you didn't kiss her. You kissed another girl that wasn't Kelsey. And then... He thought he had my number, so he's text Kelsey. Yeah. Saying, really nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. It was his friend from Bolton, who's a boy, called Kelsey. So he's obviously messaged back being like, mate, you've got the wrong person. <gasps> and then he remembered that he'd taken my name. So then he tracked me down on Facebook. Oh, my gosh. So we were, like, always meant to be but together. But thank God you weren't a Sarah or a Rachel. No, I know. Because he would never have found you. Yeah, but he did. He found me. And then I remember I had a job at Dorothy Perkins at the time mm-hmm. and I was in the um, shoe cupboard and then I got this text and I was like... In the uh, shoe uh, cub- in cupboard the sh- doing important work doing on your work phone. On my phone. <laughs> yeah, okay. No one sacked me. Uh, <laughs> Sackable offence. And then I got this message and I was like, on Facebook and I was like, oh my God, he's tracked me down. And then we literally... He then, he'd gone back to Bolton though. When, right. So we didn't see each other. We were just literally on the phone all the time, and it was like the ping pong text. We'd literally. So I've read, I've read Hope, the book, your book, yeah. and Tom's book, and uh, he says in that that you literally you phoned as he was leaving London to go to Bolton, and you literally spoke the whole way. Yeah. Oh, back in the day of early love, when that's all yeah. you would do, just speak and speak and speak. And also, like, even we all both had a house phone, so we'd call each other on the house phone when oh. he'd get back, and I'd be like, "What are you doing?" He, he was like in at twelve o'clock at night making a curry. I'm like. What are you doing? Like, I can't believe you're up making a curry at this time. Like, do you know those like silly things you look back on and think, oh, that's it is cute. Yeah. And then he then was coming back for work, but like obviously recording and stuff. And then we met and that was it. We were literally inseparable from the moment we met. Really? But then we were seeing each other. He would never commit to me. Early days of being a band yeah. like that is a well I that know. I know. Of, yeah. you know, I know a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, were there external pressures to kind of go, you're you in a boy band now, and I think other single. band members as well okay, were a bit yeah, like, yeah. you know, let's have fun. Yeah. So he would never commit to me, but I was always there. 
Yeah. And then after like a year, I was like, I can't do this. I can't just be that girl. But also, just... it gets to the point where you're telling your friends that that's your boyfriend. And it's embarrassing. Yeah. And then Tom's walking out of the club getting papped with someone else. I'm like, no, he is my boyfriend. I don't know what he's doing. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah, and it, I think that was, and that was obviously really hard. And yeah. it was really hard for me to actually say to him, I'm not doing this anymore. Because right. he, couldn't, he couldn't quite believe it that I was saying, I'm not going to be that girl. Yeah anymore but I think that was the best thing that I ever did just in our like whole relationship because he then knew oh okay she means business so but by that point were the wanted kind oh they of... were massive okay so then that was really annoying as well because yeah. I literally saw them everywhere yeah so like I'd walk down the street and there'd be a billboard of mm-hmm. the wanted I'm like oh and then you turn on that music channels oh they're there again <laughs> Like, I couldn't get away from him, but we didn't speak for, like, six months. No! Like, literally did not speak, either. I was like, I can't. I can't be that person that just goes back and, and is that girl again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's really funny because he invited me out on um, his... It was their first theatre show, mm. and he invited me to London Hammersmith, and I, I made a pact with my friend and was like, when we go... Like, she was like, OK, if we're going to go, you're not going out after you can't go clubbing you can't do it Kels I'm like okay I'm not gonna do it and I did stick to it and I think Tom then again it was that moment of Tom going oh well because also we both know that when a guy is in a band yeah there are a lot of women a lot of people who would literally just be there yeah they will literally and they will find a way of being there if they're not invited yeah like it's a very odd Scenario. It is really odd. You can't really explain it to people. Yeah, yeah. I did have a certain word for the girls, but I won't use that on this Mm. podcast. Um, (laughs) But even that night was really weird that we were meant to be together. Tom ended up crying in the toilets of this nightclub that he went out to that I hadn't gone with him. After his first theatre show. Yeah. He was in the toilets because I didn't go out and I said to him, I'm not, I'm not doing it, Tom. Like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just not coming. Okay. Yeah. So then he's crying to this guy who he didn't know was my next-door neighbour. Really random. And people always look and go, like, what have you been talking about? So then the next day, CJ, who's my next-door neighbour, was like, he, I was walking up the road and he picked me up and he was like, this, this, that guy from The Wanted was in the toilets crying about you. Like, there's only one Did Kelsey. He piece it to, piece he pieced it, it together and knew it was me. And he was like, he was crying about you, Kelsey, in the toilet. And I was like, <laughs> right. And then literally it took Tom, like, two weeks after that and then he rang me and he was like, I'm ready. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I'm ready to be with you. And I was like, well, I might not be ready to be with you. <laughs> a week later, I was with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you sit yeah, on this. I'm going to let you sit on it for a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we were just meant to be. Like, there's all these signs yeah. that just brought us together. And what impact do you think it had on Tom having you there as that, like that piece of stability in those early days of the wanted, which are you know you've taken a lad from Bolton, you put him in this band, all of an, all of a sudden they are everywhere. Yeah, and he didn't train at Italia Conti or Sylvia's. I mean, so he, he was a wild child. <laughs> so sometimes I would say to him like, just calm it down, be professional. Calm, yeah, calm yeah, it down. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why they loved the boys yeah. because they weren't that. Yeah. Um, I think he needed me more than he probably knew that he needed me. Mm. But obviously, I just liked being there and, and wanted to support him through it all. Yeah. Like, he has through my business. Yeah. Like, he was there when I did start um, K2K with Kelsey. Like, he he's, he was, like, K2K stars. He's yeah. always been there. He's always supported me. Like, we both did that for each other. Yeah. And I think that's why we worked. And people would say, like, if you do ask the boys from the band, they will say, 
that me and him are like the boy and girl version of each other. Really? So we're both really like hyperactive and over the top and chatty, but then can be quite serious. Do they all as live well. in one house together? Yeah. Uh, those, I mean, I yeah. just love those days. Yeah. They la- they they loved it. That was at the very beginning, and then right. when we did actually get back together, we we got a flat together in Battersea, That's which we nice. absolutely loved. Mm. On the Thames. And he used to brag to everyone. I've got a, I've got a flat on the gems. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Did you in those early days look to the future and think about having children? Yeah, we always spoke about having children. Like I was obsessed. I always wanted a baby by 25. And then Tom was like, oh, when we got to the age, I was like, I don't think I'm ready to have a baby yet, Kels. And then even we did try before our wedding. Oh, really? We had a slot, but he didn't. He, Tom didn't like pressure of things. So that pressure that I gave him that we could have a baby in this time frame, he was like, I can't do it. I can't do it, Kelsey. You're putting too much pressure. So we then got married and then we literally fell three months after we went to Vegas. Really? And what what happens in Vegas doesn't stay there. No. No. No, you, you brought it home with you. It came home. You brought yeah. her home. She's three. <laughs> <laughs> so can you remember finding out you were pregnant? Um, with frat, yeah, like I, I was, re- I, we were shocked because I, you know, obviously he was more shocked, I think, but yeah, we were really shocked. But I think Bodhi came as even a bigger shock, really. Bodhi was a massive shock because I, I was breastfeeding, I stopped breastfeeding, and I fell pregnant the next month. So he was, so, Tom was so shocked, <laughs> and I, I rang him. I do have the video of this. I rang him and told him to. Uh, I needed something to my mum's house. I was like, oh, can you drop this off? And as he walked through the door, we gave him the pregnancy test and he was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. But again, is everything meant to be? Yeah. Does everything happen for a reason? I fell pregnant that quick. I was then 30, 35 weeks pregnant when Tom was diagnosed. So for me, in life, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Take me back to your pregnancy with Aurelia. What was that like? Like once you found out that that is that's a massive gear change. That's, yeah, 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 that's no longer going clubbing in, mm. in the club. Yeah, that's like putting your feet up and resting a bit. Yeah, I'm not. That? I'm not really a rester though. No, but doing, but not in the club. Yeah, not in the you know club. I mean? Yeah, but I still was just like on the go, and I actually was really ill with Aurelia. I got preeclampsia really bad, and I didn't know how bad I was because I'm uh, just get on with it. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. I was so swollen. We went to Cornwall and I've actually got pictures of me in a restaurant that we go to every year where um, Tom had photoshopped pig noses onto me where I was so swollen. I mean, this is the banter that we had. Um, but honestly, like my feet were so swollen and where I didn't see the same midwife throughout, yeah. no one picked up on it because obviously they didn't know what I looked like before. I wasn't going like, this is what I actually look like. Now I look like this. Yeah. My mum came with me and they just said, oh yeah, she's just swollen. But I actually had preeclampsia. And So when did you find out that? the day before they induced me. I went in and I came out of the appointment with the midwife. My blood pressure was through the roof and I had four pluses in my protein of my weight and still they didn't call me in. And then it actually happened that a student midwife went into the hospital the next day Mm. and said, you need to get this lady in. She's really ill. And they called me in and then they induced me. But Tom bumped into that student midwife and she said, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me because I went and flagged it. Thinking, oh my gosh! Thank you. I was going to work that morning. 
Did you feel like... Oh, I felt horrendous, but I didn't realise how horrendous I felt until I was pregnant with Bodhi and thought, OK, that's normal. Well, it wasn't normal. I'd never had a baby yeah. before, so I didn't have a clue that it... I literally couldn't walk on my feet. My feet were in agony. My hands were swollen. My face was on. Honestly, there's a picture of me where I've got, like, my eyes are out of my head, like here, and it looked like I've been, like... Punched. Punched. And I went in to the hospital and said, is this normal? And they were like, yep, you're fine. And I got sent home, but I was so swollen. I look back at the, my baby shower pictures as well. We had a bump party and I was like, oh, I look so bad. <laughs> oh. You did hypnobirthing? Yeah, more for Tom. Pregnancy. It was for really? Tom. Oh. Why? To include him? It, it's funny now we look back at these things because when we did the hypnobirthing, the first, first thing Tom wrote on the piece of paper that he was worried that I was going to die. Okay. And he always had a fear of death. Right. And even when we went and... And I was in labour. He was just an emotional wreck. Well, I I wrote down two of the words that he used to describe your birth in the yeah. book: horrifying and brutal. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. he he literally hated it. He could not cope. And then they had me, who probably is more brutal to him. I was so. Like, what were you like in that situation? I was like, come on, Tom, can you just come over and get on with it? Like, what are you crying for? I'm the one actually giving birth. Why are you standing there crying in the toilet for? So did you have to get called in and then were induced? Yeah. And then, but it happened really quick. I told Tom to go home. Right. Because um, I was like, they've induced me. And when I spoke to a lady, this was Saturday, she told me that the baby would be here Tuesday. <laughs> Literally, I laid in that bed and I thought, I can't be here till Tuesday. I spoke to a radio, but I didn't know she was a radio at the time. And I was like, you need to just move this, like, we need to get this going because I can't not be in here till Tuesday. I'm telling you that now. Yeah. So literally Tom left. Within the hour, my waters are broke. So I was like, you better come back in. <sighs> and then, yeah, he just... At it, what point was he crying in the toilet, Kelsey? When when I was actually, like, well, contracting, like, when I was getting to the stage of delivery, yeah. my mum turned up and then you had Tom in the toilet crying. And then my mum's like, comforting him. I'm being brutal to Tom. Like, get out, come on, Do you help think me. the whole thing was just overwhelming? It was way too much for him. Yeah. He could not cope. And then um, when they said my the, the baby's heartbeat started to drop. So then they wanted to get me in. And I, the one thing I said to Tom was, I really don't want a C-section. So he was panicking that I'm going to have this C-section. And when they said, we need to take her down to theatre, he's like to my mum, do you want to go? She said, no, Tom, I think you need to be there for the birth of your child. <laughs> but then he did pull himself together and he, he was fantastic, but he just would lose his head. Tom was just a lose-your-head sort of person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he just couldn't cope in them situations, which when we look back, then that's what I loved about him because I can cope in them situations. So There's we, always that, isn't it? Yeah. It's like one of you, that, that's what works, I think. But he was always so dramatic with everything he did, so it was hilarious. So the stories we have to tell amazing about him because he would he's just so extreme like literally sobbing his heart out in the toilet it was like come on you've got to get on with it <laughs> I love it and you're like there's a baby that's about to come yeah. out of me any second pull yourself yeah. together we've got to go down yeah can you can you stop crying <laughs> so then down in theatre you ended up having forceps forceps delivery yeah how was that well I was just a bit out of it Tom's like oh my god it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Said they bought these things out. I think it. I think it is just so terrifying for the partner because I think when you're in it, I was talking about this earlier. When you're in it, you're kind of you're not. You're in a different place. You are. You're. You're. Yeah. Your mind. And is I, where else. I did the hypnobirthing, I was trying to go to my bubble and my place to be, <laughs> and then I had Tom crying. So I was like, I, I'm trying to find my bubble here, mate. <laughs> Trying to surround myself, <laughs> and you're in my bubble yeah. and you're crying. <laughs> Get out of my bubble. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, so you went down and you went ended up having forceps. Yeah. What was it like when Aurelia actually came into the world? Oh, it was just so magical. Did you feel like an instant bond? Yeah. And it it's just really overwhelming. Yeah. I don't feel like they tell you that sort of stuff in like when you do the courses. I don't think anyone can prepare you though for that. But that feel of yeah. that newborn on your skin. Oh, yeah. But it don't, and the smell. It also and doesn't the... feel like any other baby that you would have held before because it is so fresh. Yeah. And it's. I just watched my friend Rosie give birth. Ah. And it was great being that side yeah. and watching her. And I thought, oh, that overwhelming. Like, she just could not believe that she ha- had given birth to a baby. It's almost a shock, actually. Yeah. Like, the end of it. Like, oh, <laughs> it's here. <laughs> what just happened? I've got a yeah. baby on me. And it was magical watching it from that side. Yeah. And what was Tom like when she finally arrived? Oh, he was just so in love. So in love. Lots of crying? Lots of crying. So emotional. Then he was the lacking of sleep, so then he went into another phase of, like, he was in the hospital and then he rang my mum and he went, you're going to have to come and, and, and take over from me, Diane. <laughs> he went, I'm going to have to go home and get some sleep. I can remember a midwife coming into our, like, delivery, our, our room after and literally she hadn't even looked at me. She looked at Tom and went, oh. Are you okay? <laughs> Do you need me to get you something? Like, fuck off. Yeah. I just give him back. Yeah. That was Tom. He rang my mum at three in the morning and went, Oh, Dad, you're going to have to come up here. I can't. I'm going to have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I really wanted to breastfeed, and Tom had already gone to the midwife and got a, bot- a bottle. So when he did swap over my mum, I was really happy. Oh, bless it. But he probably thought he was helping. No, he just oh. didn't like the crying. He couldn't bear crying. Just give her a bottle. Yeah, he just gave her a bottle. That was it. I was like, no, she's only doing breast. But he didn't make anything up, did it? You no, did, no, no, no. Yeah, I breastfed. Did you tell him off, though? Yeah, and then he became obsessed with breastfeeding. In the end, I was like, leave me to the breastfeeding. And he was, like, messaging people on Instagram about breastfeeding. I'm like, Tom, can I just get on with it by myself? He was like, well, so what, what sort of routine should the baby be? And the baby's like, eight weeks now. What's, what should I'm like, leave Well, because at this point in your life... From what from what I've read and from what you've said, yeah. he was the one that did the research. You just got on with it. Oh, yeah, He yeah, was yeah. the researcher. Massive researcher. But that's what I'm like, Tom, we don't need to research how to breastfeed. What do you think they did back in the day? They just breastfed. They, they didn't have uh, someone guiding them on Instagram. Like, they just did it. Yeah. You're very pragmatic, though. Yeah. And other people aren't, but I am. I'm just like, right, we'll just get on with it. Yeah. What was it like when you first brought Radio home? It was, oh, it was so nice. It, like our little house, our little bubble, like it's everything we could have ever like wished for. It's yeah. so good. Such a gear change, though. Yeah, but I, I, so the thing is, obviously, I've got younger brothers, so yeah. I was fifteen when my brothers were born, so I wasn't shocked with a newborn baby. Right. They were basically my mum did the best thing because they were contraception for me. That's why I waited <laughs> till I was like twenty eight, twenty nine, because babies do cry. I wasn't shocked. Tom was really shocked. Really? Yeah, he hadn't really had a lot of babies around him. So I was like, no, this is what babies do. They cry, Tom. That's what they do. But I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a massive shock, shock to me. It wasn't a shock to the system. Like, I was at home when my mum had my brothers. Yeah. And I was there even when my mum gave birth. Were you? I did leave. I was like, when she went into labour, I was like, mum, I really want to be here to watch you, but I just don't think I can watch you in pain. So can you ring me when the baby's here and I'm going to come back? And that's what I did. And yeah. then, so it wasn't a shock to have babies. Mm-hmm. And even, even like, toddlers and stuff. Like, I've always been around kids and I've loved kids. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you fell pregnant with Bodhi and it was a surprise. Yeah. 
Um, what was that pregnancy like compared to the first then? Well, it was really obviously a great pregnancy. I, mm. I thought, okay, what I suffered before was not normal. I was ill. And then we hit the 30-week mark and then obviously Tom then started to change. And again, I thought, has he changed because we're going to have a baby? Do you think, yeah. Like, like, is, it overwhelmed? Is, it, is he overwhelmed? Is, it, is he overwhelmed, you know, financially? Is he worried? Are we going to be okay? Um, That's a huge part, actually, that people yeah. don't necessarily think about, I think, when someone's had a career... Yeah. In a band, you know, they yeah. have success for that period of time. But then the lo- longevity of that, like, mm. you still need to have an income. And how, how do you create that? Yeah, now? and we had a 15-month age gap. Yeah. Like, so, and he wanted the kids to do everything they want to do. Like, yeah. even down to baby classes. Like, all the baby classes I wanted to do. Um. Yeah, and then his mood started changing. I'm a bit like, is he depressed? Is this depression? I don't know what this is. And then, obviously, skip forward to five weeks later, he was having a massive seizure and he was diagnosed with a brain tumour, so... And he was given that news on his own? He was given... He was in Norfolk on holiday and he was in a hospital room. They came round, pulled the curtain around him and said to him, we found a brain tumour. He rang me. He was absolutely beside himself. I was on my way to the hospital and I was actually with my stepdad and I said, because this was COVID times, and mm. I said to him, you're going to have to come in with me. Like, I can't go into this building on my own. Like, you need to come in and and sort the situation out with me. Because at at first they did think that it could potentially have been a bleed on the brain. Right. So we didn't really know anything, but they'd seen something. And then... um, Did they let your stepdad come in? They let Johnny come in, and Johnny's really good in them situations. So Johnny actually got the nurses and doctors into another room, which I wasn't in, and they told Johnny that they they think it is a brain tumour. So Johnny obviously had to go back and really tell the family because they were all quite protective of me because where I was so... Pregnant. Yeah, yeah so pregnant yeah, that yeah. they didn't want to, like, you know, make yeah. me even more upset. But again, I'm I, I'm quite a strong person, so I was like... In my head, I was thinking, right, worst case, it's a brain tumour. What, what do we do? And you're 35 weeks pregnant at that point. Yeah. And then I just felt really sorry for Bodie because then I wasn't there for the pregnancy at all. I was there for Tom. That's the thing. So that last little chunk of time being pregnant, well, I was only, that an, I only stayed an preg- afterthought? I only got to 38 weeks. Right. Because then he kicked his own waters because I stopped eating. I stopped doing everything really for myself. Because obviously you're so stressing for me. I'm not an eater in situations. Yeah. I don't eat. So I wasn't eating. The baby probably wasn't getting enough what he needed. Mm. So he was like, I'm out of here. And were you back home by that point? We were back home and Tom had just started treatment. He'd only been, I think he'd been doing treatment for like a week. So, so quickly after being diagnosed as well. Oh, literally when he was diagnosed, it was like diagnosed on the Monday, you're going to fit your mask and then you're going in for radio, like that was it. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where is your mind at at that point when you've got a husband who needs you? And you're growing human, and you have a baby, a baby that needs me as well. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just got on with it, and I didn't want to sit around crying. Like um, our best friend Kelsey, she came with us when Tom was diagnosed because mm. I need, you know, I needed someone else yeah. there. And Kelsey is really emotional, and Tom was really emotional. So they were just do- doing a thing together, and I'm like, if you guys want to cry, like we ca- we came back to the house, and it was quite funny because. Uh, Kelsey's like, I'll go, I'll walk the kids around the park and you can have your time together. And I was like, but I don't want to sit around crying. Like, I'm going to fight this. So I'm not going to sit here and lay on the sofa and cry with Tom that what could be. Mm. Like, that's not going to get me anywhere. Yeah. So actually, she went for a walk with Tom and they cried together around the park. <laughs> she gave him what he needed because that wasn't right for me at that moment in time. And obviously, I was trying to hold it together for ev- everything. And Aurelia is so beyond her, like, She's an old soul. She's been here before. She knew something was wrong. She knew straight away that when Tom walked through them doors. How did she show that? How do you know? Because she was just on the table. She was being really outrageous, doing something she would never normally do because she knew something. She knew that I'm, I was not there emotionally. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. I'm, I was somewhere else. And that her dad was. He like then went into like a... Did you feel like you couldn't let yourself go there emotionally because you were trying to protect Tom from that, if you like? Yeah, and I just think if I had crumbled, then he would have been on the floor. Mm. So I didn't. I was like, let's hold it together. And that's how I've got through it, by holding it together and being like, let's let's fight it. Yeah. And there were days that he couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. When he did, like, the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy, like, you wouldn't want want your worst enemy to go through that. That was, like, horrific to watch. Mm. So where was he at and where were you at when... You did go into labour with Bodhi. Um, for me, I, I can't even really remember because it was just everything a, a was haze just at that time. Yeah, but I was laying. I was actually laying in bed, and the babe and like Bodhi was like going absolutely crazy. And Tom went, "You're not going to labour, are you?" And I was like, "Oh, don't be so ridiculous!" Literally, I stood up, and then my water's broke. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm in labour." <laughs> and then I really wanted a home birth because I wanted it for Tom. Obviously, COVID times, I didn't want him to go into hospital and yeah. stay at home. Um, Did you have a pool there? At I had point? everything like ready to have a home birth. Both right. my pregnancies, I really wanted a home birth, and I didn't get it either time. Um, and then basically, he broke his own waters. And they wanted to see. They wanted me to come in, but I just held out, held out because Tom had treatment. So we went until about three o'clock in the morning, had some sleep, and then we went into the hospital. But they were really great. They just literally put us in a room on our own. We didn't leave that room. Had the baby in the room, and then uh, the next day, Tom went back to treatment. That was it. It was. And then I went. I said, "What's the earliest time I can get out of this hospital?" And they were like. Uh, Six in the morning, and I was like, okay. And then I had my auntie and uncle waiting outside for me at six in the morning, and I went home and carried on as normal. Did he just have that desire to just get out, get on? Yeah. I mean, Tom probably wanted, would, would have wanted to stay in the hospital for longer, but I was like, you've got to go home for treatment. I'll be back, and I'll we'll sort it out. We'll get you to treatment tomorrow, and that's it. So compared to Aurelia arriving, Bodhi, Bodhi's arrival, what did that feel like in the room? 
Oh, it was just awful. It was awful because Tom was so emotional. Obviously, Tom was emotional for different reasons yeah. this time. He was thinking, it, when will I? It, how long will I have left with this baby? Um, oh, God, that's quite sad. Um, which was really hard. And I remember him going to the toilet and um, the nurse being like, is he okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, he's got a brain tumour. He's just been diagnosed and he's, he's in treatment at the moment. That's why. Because he was really thin as well and he'd lost his hair. Right. And I was like... And obviously, this is just way too much for him. Mm-hmm. Um, had you told the public by that point? Mm, had we told the public? Yeah, the public knew then. Because that's when I, I was pregnant when we had the pictures done. Uh-huh. The OK uh, pictures, which that was just... Everything just seems like a blur. And I think, like, you push it so far to, to the back of your mind. like, And that's what I always have that guilt for Bodie, that... He didn't get the nice experience for all of it. Not that he's ever going to remember that. But also, I think we have these filmic ideas of, you know, what that's going to be like, what that first bit of time is going to, yeah. you know. And the reality is that that doesn't happen. Yeah. And you guys were going through something so huge. Yeah. You know, and I think in many ways, Brody's probably going to grow up just thankful that his dad was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think he will. I think he'll one day be like, I'm just happy that my dad witnessed my birth. But yeah. Yeah, and I just felt sorry for Tom. And do you know what? Because Tom was in this place where he'd absolutely just wasn't not Tom anymore. Like mm. literally, I can't describe it. The moment he got diagnosed, I lost I lost Tom. Um, that I felt guilt when I was giving birth because I had to leave him for half hour to actually give birth, and literally the like Bodhi actually flew out of me. But I just had this guilt because when you are like what you're saying, it's that out of body experience. Like mm. I wasn't there for him. Like, I wasn't there for Tom. I, I couldn't look after him for yeah. half hour. And I just had this massive guilt. And I'm like, I shouldn't... I'm giving birth to our baby. I shouldn't feel like that, but I did. Yeah. And I obviously never told Tom that because I wouldn't want him to to feel feel that way. But that's how I felt. I thought, oh, because he's got to have to talk to a midwife or, or make a decision for me. Like, he wasn't in the place or the state of mind. If it was like last time where I had to go and have a C-section, he wouldn't have been able to make them decisions for me. Right. He would have been like, oh, I don't know. And obviously I didn't have my mum there. I couldn't have anyone else there. I think Paloma Faith, when she did the uh, podcast, she spoke about how birth, it kind of highlights the line between life and death in such a beautiful but surreal and difficult way. And I wonder if there was that part of Tom who... You know, he's got this brain tumour, you know, looking ahead to the future and there's life coming into the room. Like, it yeah. must just be... And the previous time he'd been worried about you dying and now there's this whole other spectrum of, yeah. of you know, stuff ahead of you. I'd And it's funny because when I was there for Rosie, I felt like that. I felt like we've just got... Because she's named the baby Tommy after mm. Tom. And I was like, we've got Tommy, but we've lost Tom. Yeah. And it is that life is so precious but yet we don't know what the future is mm. and you're so happy that this baby's there but then I've just lost Tom yeah it's and then he like you're saying he must have felt like that but he would never express that to me because that would have been really tough for him to say them words yeah and obviously we didn't talk about death we didn't talk about dying you didn't talk about a funeral or anything no. like that we couldn't go there with Tom if, I think if he felt I, I thought he was going to die, he would probably have rolled up in a ball and died. Right. So we didn't ever go there. It was like, Tom, you're going to be okay, mate. Like, don't Isn't worry it about crazy, it. Isn't it crazy, though, that we don't talk about something that... Yeah, but it depends. If, you, if, I, if you're in that situation where that is... And it, yeah. I think it depends your, what character you are. Yeah. 
because he was so afraid to die. He was so scared, but his whole life he's always been afraid of dying. We'd have these conversations before he was even diagnosed. He was so scared to die. Mm. And he'd be like, what, you're not scared to die? I'm like, no, Tom, I don't feel like that. If I'm, if I, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. What can I do about it? That's it. It's... It's a matter of fact. Well, the one thing we're guaranteed in this lifetime is we're going to die. We're yeah. going to be born and we're going to die. Yeah. So how can I be scared of something that's going to happen to me? He obviously... Obviously, we didn't want it to happen that soon to him. But that it has happened. What can we do? Yeah. And what could we do? There's nothing we could have done. He was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Mm. So taking Bodhi home, mm. what was that chunk of time like? My, basically, my mum was there for like two weeks with me, just on, just with everything, with Tom and my auntie. She was a massive part. And actually, all my friends and family, like, I'm so lucky that I have got the best friends and family because they were all just there for me. Because really, again, I feel awful saying it, but I wasn't focused on Bodhi. I was focused on Tom, yeah. making sure he got to treatment, making sure he was taking his chemo at the right time. Because Tom's... Tablets were in uh, Tom's chemo was in tablet form, right? So you actually have to take your tablet at a certain time before you're having radiotherapy. So I was just more focused on what Tom was doing. Obviously, I was feeding Bodie and doing whatever, yeah, and had yeah, that yeah. connection with him. And I think that's why breast was great for me. Um, but well, then, it forced you to have that time with him. Yeah. Which if you didn't have that that sort of tie, that connection, you could have just been going around like a blue-ass fly doing uh, everything else. Yeah, and not paying any attention to him. Because even with Bodie, I did stop breastfeeding earlier than what I would have wanted to. Mm. I would have gone for much longer, but, you know, circumstances, they they, they were different for Bodie. And, yeah. and that was it. And we obviously started fil filming the documentary. like Yeah, because obviously you you did, you were very open about what was going on. So that, you know, doing that OK interview, doing the documentary, mm. was there a conversation between you two where you went, well, we want to talk about this and raise awareness? We did discuss it actually as a family. And for me, I always said, Tom, you need to go public with this because he needed the support of his fans. Because yeah. he he wanted... And Tom's a, Tom likes the truth to be out there. And I think he needed the truth to be out there because then he wasn't living the li a lie. Yeah. Because what if he just popped to the local shop and he went, what's going on with you? And then before you know it, it's, a, it's out someone's anyway. taking a photo and... Exactly. Or him going into treatment. Yeah. Like I said, you're better off just letting everyone know. And the fans and the public and everyone have been amazing from the, the moment he was diagnosed till mm. now. Everyone is just incredible. There's so many kind, generous people out there. Yeah. That you... Obviously, you know the world's good, but until something bad happens, you know how many good people are actually out there. Yeah. I imagine doing the documentary... Yeah. ..and letting people in was a whole other thing, though. Because there's one thing doing an OK interview yeah. or an interview in a magazine, and it's a few pages, and it, isn't it lovely? But it's a very different thing doing a documentary where the reality of the rawness is there. Yeah, and it was raw. It was a. We wanted to show people the truth, but also we wanted to show people the truth that when you actually came to our house, we weren't sitting around crying. Yeah, yeah. Our house was full of laughter, happiness, entertainment, kids, babies, me and Tom. Like it, we were still the same. Tom had lost a, himself, but we were still that couple. That I said, you're not going to come into my house and film a documentary where we're going to be sitting around crying, going, 
counting down the days because that's well, not... Tom cries a bit, but that's also but Tom that's is a Tom's crier. personality. Tom is a crier. <laughs> Tom would cry like he'd watch a, sh- a TV show and cry. Yeah. Like Tom would cry walking down the street looking at a dog that had lost one leg. Mm-hmm. Like that was Tom <laughs> as a person. He was really emotional. What was it like watching the documentary back? Have I, you watched it back? Yeah, I've watched it back. I don't think I could watch it now. Mm. But we watched it, and Tom actually watched it. He was really scared to watch it. He was like, I don't know if I can watch it. But then he actually enjoyed it when he watched it. Because I think it shows our relationship, and that's something for the kids to look yeah. back on. But it's just, you know, and and ultimately we just wanted to raise as much awareness as we possibly could. Brain tumors get 1% of funding. Like, we, when they told me that, I'm like, so you're going to give him a treatment that's not been changed in 30 years? What? Like, I could not believe it. And then when they tell you, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have radio and chemo, then that'll be followed by chemo. You're like, yeah, what else? They're like, no, 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 that's all we're going to give you. So you're saying, so you're, you're give, so you've given me the worst prognosis, even though Tom didn't get a prognosis, but obviously if you Google it, it will tell you. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, a, the terminator of diseases, and that's the treatment plan. You're like, sorry, what? I'm like hearing that it's inoperable from the off as well. That really got to Tom that it was inoperable, but I was quite happy that it was inoperable. For me personally, going through the surgery mm. and then you'd going into something in the, the head, I just think, you know, he he did, we, we shrunk it. It had We got significant reduction. Like, it, it, there is hope, it, there is possibility that you can do this. But we threw everything at it. Mm. Everything. What was he like with the kids around that time? Um, he was he was really hard because he was like, it depends how he felt. Did he have moments where he had more bursts of energy yeah. and other times where he had to retreat a bit? Yes, that, like when he was actually in treatment, he would spend a lot of time up in, in bed, but then the kids would be up there with him. So Aurelia like, was obsessed with her dad. <laughs> so she wouldn't let him get away with it, so she'd be up there with him. In bed with him. Do you think she knew he was poorly? Yeah, she did, no. She'd even walk with him holding his hand. Like, she was so cute. She's so knowing, that's what I'm saying. She's been here before, she Mm. knew. She just knew even even how she'd, like, talk to him, everything. She'd be really caring. And there's a really nice video of Albie, Kelsey's little boy, and they're laying together and he's stroking Tom's head. And it's just so adorable. They were all... The kids were just amazing with him. But he... I'm so glad that we had the kids as well because... It gave it like you know it even it even it uh, it even gave us something else to talk about yeah. other than treatment. Yeah, like we spoke about the kids. Oh, Aurelia starting school. We're doing this. Like the kids are going to this active activity. You know, life did carry on as normal. We didn't let it. Cancer didn't consume us. We lived life. Tom came on every holiday last year. Like he wasn't getting out like out of anything. Weddings, you come in, you're doing it, you're getting on with it. But you're you were life. the driving force as, as well within oh, yeah. that. Like hundred percent. He would have sat, he would have been like, no, I'm just gonna sit on the sofa. No, come on, get up, get on with it. Because I wanted the kids to have memories. Yeah. Not not that I thought he was gonna die, just to have memories with their dad. Mm-hmm. I guess it's also that thing of you can very easily sit down and not do anything. Where actually you've got to. And also you've got the biggest excuse not to do something. But I just think Let's do it. Mm. Let's show people. Get on that stage. Go on the go on the roll out home and perform Tom. He was like, oh no, I can't. My arm. I'm like, go on there. Go on, you can do it. And he did it. Did he find it difficult about his arm? Yeah. And also, he was so frustrating because obviously, 
if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm. And I used to go on at him and be like, come on, you need to use it. But he didn't use it, so it did sort of make it worse. But Tom... Tom's such a character. He Tom was his own worst enemy at times. Yeah. Which I found really hard, like, you know... I can remember my Tom coming home because um, I think someone they worked with had worked, you know, he'd seen someone they both work with and him saying, you know, Tom's, it's it's really not great. Like yeah. he's, lost, he's lost the use of his arm. Yeah. And I think that just shocked all of them to see, to hear that actually yeah. it, it was to... It was re- it was a real th- it was a real thing if you like it yeah. was it was very much kind of taken a hold in that way. Yeah, it did it did take hold, but obviously he had something living in his head. So yeah, yeah. We had a um, an episode of uh, so had my baby asking for a friend. We had uh, we had uh, an end of life doula and um, a funeral director in, and they were talking about um, death and talking to children about death. And what I found interesting is that listening to you talk about it, you very much use the word dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. You didn't use, you know, imagery that might be confusing to them. I I did speak to someone as well. I did seek advice. And and even, because what was hard is obviously when Tom went into the hospice, I was then there with him at the hospice. So Aurelia was getting really upset that, like, she wasn't seeing me. Yeah. And, um... And I had to say to her, like, the the day that he was dying and I knew he was going to die, I said that, um, oh, God, it's so sad to say, that um, the angel, I'm going to go to the hospital today to make sure that the angels come and take Daddy because Daddy's going to die. Oh, it's so horrible to say. But I was really honest because she needed to know and she was mm. okay with that. When I told her the angels are taking her dad today, she was like, oh, okay. And then off she skipped. Like, it was just... And then the next day I said, Daddy's dead and he's not coming back. And that's it. What, what else could I say to her? Did you build up those conversations in your mind before having them? No, I just like rolled into it and just said it to, to her. I sat her down and said, um, Daddy's dead. He won't be coming back. He's with the angels now and the butterflies. And and um, that's it. And, and uh, when Kelsey turned up in the morning, she had Albie there because... It's sort of like Kelsey was going through the same experience because yeah. she was losing her best friend yeah. and Albie had gone to his um, nans. And when I'd said, when Kelsey arrived, Aurelia went to Kelsey, do you know my dad's dead? So she was like taken back and obviously she said, okay, is this what we're doing? Are we telling the complete truth? And I said, that's what we could, that's all we can do, Kels. And then when she told Albie, he started kicking us. Because <laughs> he was upset because obviously that's he's got that. Yeah. That, it's more than that. That that was his uncle. That was his godfather. That was everything. So he was devastated too. So we had all these like toddlers running around trying to beat us up that Tom had gone. <laughs> With kids as well, like even when Tom was alive and, and I think there are certain conversations or people can be, can find it difficult yeah. in certain situations. Whereas kids... Oh yeah, Aurelia will, would walk into a room and say to him, do you know my dad's dead? And they're like, and obviously you can see the, the person like a, a dagger to the heart and be like, oh, I can't believe she's just said that. But what I didn't want as well is for her to go to, you know, she's at preschool or she goes to K to K and mm-hmm. one of the older kids talks about Tom yeah. and says the word's dead and she doesn't understand. I wanted her to be, to know the truth. Did you take the kids to the hospice? hospice no. Uh, Bodhi came up, but he didn't actually see Tom. Tom didn't really want to see the kids. Right. I don't think he wanted them. He, you know, I think for Tom, he didn't want to die at home. I think he wanted to die in the hospital 
in the hospice. Is that because do you well do you think that's because he didn't want I the memory he, of his death? I think in he your did home. it for me. Right. Because that we've only just moved into our house. So we'd only moved into the Sept in the September. But again, that felt very much like looking to the future, this whole new chapter, yeah. this, you know, wanting to make sure that you guys have everything that he could possibly give you. Yeah. And obviously his death did come as a massive shock to us. Like, I was in Spain with him three weeks before. Like, he was doing so much better. Like, it did come as a massive shock to me. I know that you two laid in bed together. Yeah, and I just said to him, it's okay. It's okay for you to go. If you if you need to go... Wait for tissue. <laughs> I said, if you, if you need to go, you can go now. Like, I'm... I know that you've done everything you can possibly do, and if it's your time, it's your time. And then oh, it was like we had a really nice night together, and that was a really hard, obviously, conversation to have. Especially after you have both united, you know, you've you've united in the whole way through. Yeah. Kind of, there's a future. There's a future. Like you're you're pushing, you're pushing, and you're pushing, and to suddenly, not suddenly, but to to give in to that. Oh, yeah, and it was so hard for me because it was the realisation of, oh, this is it. And there is that moment of you realising this is it. Like, yeah, I, it, it's, it's like, death is such a weird, weird place to be, but it's made me not even more... Ugh, it's made me not scared to die again. Like, I'm not... Really? Yeah. Watching Tom die, I'm not, I'm not scared to die. If I could have a death like him, I'd be really happy. And that's really saying something, isn't it? Yeah, but that also says a lot about... He was so healthy as well. He didn't die in any pain. He was happy. He died happy. That's all I ever wanted. Yeah. And maybe I set out on this journey to keep him healthy. So he didn't die a death that was painful and everything swelling and everything being horrible for him. Because, honestly, he looked... A, a picture to to die like he he was glowing he had a lovely color mm. like it, it's just an it, we all have to experience these things and I've, it's just so crap for me and shit that I've had to experience it at 32 with my husband but I've experienced death now and it doesn't scare me also in that moment like you know you go into it too you know you're both there together going through this yeah and then the other side of that where you realise that actually this is a future now that you didn't want. Yeah. And I just think you can never plan your future, can you? Because, mm. you know, when I met Tom at 19, did I think that at 32 we'd have... You know, even when we was pregnant with Bodie, we knew we was having a boy. It was that like, oh, we've got the perfect family. Mm. Like, we've got a boy and a girl, and then there's me and Tom. We're so in love. We've been together since we was 19. Then, boom, my whole world just then exploded in front of me. And Tom was diagnosed. Like... You can't plan your future. No. We spoke only, I think, 10 days after mm. and uh, after he died, and you said, I can't believe it's only been 10 days. Yeah. But even now, I'm like, I can't believe it's only been like, this, well, you know, we're getting on to six months. It was a point where I was going through, like, it's 10 weeks, it's been 12 weeks. Like, mm. I d it's, life does pass us by so quickly, and that's why I think you just have to grab grab every opportunity in every moment that you can. Yeah. Because it is so short, so sweet. Yeah. And Tom's taught me that. And I think he took me on this journey for a reason. Like, we found each other at such a young age and 
I believe that he's taken me on this path for a reason. So I'm I'm grateful and thankful that he gave me that. So what does the future hold? I don't know. And I don't think any of us know what the future holds. And I don't even like to think to the future. I just live each day now. That's it. That's yeah. all I can do. If you said that to me like two years ago, I'd be like, I'm going to have four kids and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But I don't think like that now. I don't know what the future's going to bring me, but I'm hoping that we all stay healthy, happy and positive. Mm. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to? What would you say? <sighs> That's a hard question. I probably would write to my mum and just say thank you for everything you've taught me. Because I do, I do feel like my mum has guided me mm. through everything. Through, you know, even my school days to marrying Tom to even my relationship was often my mum's had to pop round and sort arguments out between me and Tom. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's stubborn. He doesn't back down. He doesn't listen to my mum. He wouldn't even listen to me. No. Yeah, I'd have to ring my mum and be like, Mum, can you come over? Because Tom's sulking and he's actually not like backing down. So can you come and like actually speak some reason into him? And what would his reaction be when your mum turned up? He'd listen to, he'd listen to it. <laughs> All right, Dad. All right, Dad. <laughs> I love it. It's like the adult entering the room. All right, yeah. I agree. Yeah. No, he's so stubborn. She she would say, right, Tom, let's look at what you've got annoyed about. Let's talk it through. Yeah, I'd just say thank you, like thank you, Mum, for everything, the tools you've given me in life. Mm. Do you think your mum has impacted how you mother? Yeah, massively. But again, I think as well because I watched my mum do it with my brothers. I watched it firsthand, so yeah. I was like, right, okay. Right, that's right, that's how you do that. And even just even my mum, like, she doesn't baby the kids, she treats them as like mini adults. Right. So she'll really talk to them like 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 that. Tom used to be like, Do you think that she can understand anything you're saying? And then Aurelia would repeat, and I'm like, Cool, she understands everything we're saying, Tom. <laughs> like she can she knows everything that's going on. They're amazing. Yeah, they are. I would like you to finish these three sentences. Yep. Being a mum means? Love. Since having children, I? Have lost a lot of sleep. <laughs> sleep that we're just not going to yeah. get back. Never going to get back. <laughs> Even Aurelia had me up last night. No. Yeah. She used to be such a good sleeper and then, like... I don't know, maybe it's to do with Tom or whatever. Yeah. She just, she knows that there's a place in my bed now that's missing, so she gets into bed with me and I won't even know. But yeah. last night she did actually wake me up. But sometimes at like three I wake up and I'm like, what are you doing in here? She knows, it's just... Is it quite nice having her in there? It, yeah, it is actually really nice and comforting. Yeah. But then in the back of my head I'm thinking, what will Diane say? She'll be saying... <laughs> this is a rod. <laughs> Get her back in her own bed, Kelsey. <laughs> oh, but it's cute, Mum. <laughs> It's so hard, though. I think yeah. we all have those moments where you're like, oh, I just really want to enjoy this little yeah. bit of something, but actually I know this is going to yeah. start something that I just can't back down from. Yeah. Well, she, when, she, when we went to Cornwall, she was getting out of bed and I kept walking her back, but I'm so tired. It's that tiredness that you just think, I can't, I can't actually. I know like she's, her room is just like yeah. uh, two doors away, but I just can't bring myself. Just get into bed, get into bed. Also, they're stealth. Like, they just get in there like little ninjas. Yeah. You're not even aware they're there. No. And final sentence, I'm happy when? I'm living my life, my best life, being positive, 
and being strong. Positive Parkers. Yeah, Positive Parkers forever. I, I mean, I love the positivity that you have brought to everything that you've experienced over the last few years. And I, and I, um, the way that you've been open with, with everything that you've done, I think it will help so many people, people that have, that have lost loved ones, people that to get to the hospital if they're feeling certain things, you know, I think, you know, just a massive thank you for everything that you're doing in being so open. Do you know what? I just felt like we had no other choice but to do that. And I'm so glad that we have been so open. And I'm so glad that I'm in the position where I can help so many people. Yeah. And I've still got so much more to give and so much help to give. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.